Welcome back to my Two Cents Podcast. I am your host, G2. I am here to give you my review of WWE's NXT's In Your House as also WWE's Hell in a Cell. Um, without further ado, let's start off with In Your House. Uh, In Your House started off with Legato Del Fantasma going against Tony D'Angelo, his two guys, two dimes and stacks. And the winner of this six-man tag would have the losers joining their crew. Uh, Tony's crew would win. Stax would win the match for the team by pinfall. Whenever the end of the match would happen, you see the ref get distracted by the chaos that was around him because obviously in a six-man tag, everybody gets in towards the last minutes of the match is basically utter bedlam and chaos going around. And you will see Electra Lopez give Santos Escobar brass knuckles while you see Stax give Tony D'Angelo his crowbar. Uh, you will see Joaquin Wilde come in and kick Tony in uh, in the gut, then grab the crowbar from him, and then you see him aiming to hit Tony with it, but Stax would push Tony out of the way. You will see Joaquin hit Stax with the crowbar, and now you see Tony quickly go over to Santos, grab the brass knuckles from him, and hit Joaquin Wilde in the face, dropping Joaquin Wilde. So now as Joaquin is laid out on the mat, you will see two dimes push Stax on top of uh, Joaquin Wilde's body, and you see the ref make the count. And now, Legato de Fantasma is now in Tony D'Angelo's crew, and he has to basically Santos now has to do what Tony says. Everybody in Legato has to do what Tony says because Tony is the Don of his crew, and he's essentially the Don of NXT. Uh, the crowd loved this match from start to finish. There was a moment at the beginning of the match before it even began when Legato came out and Electra Lopez tapped the referee and pointed at the corner and told him to look in that corner. And that's where Tony D'Angelo would usually hide his trusty crowbar. And the referee checked that corner spot. And lo and behold, there was a crowbar there. Tony was able to get the crowbar later whenever uh, Stax had a crowbar underneath the ring that the referee didn't know about. So that's the reason how the crowbar came into play later. When Legato was in the ring and they saw Tony D'Angelo and his crew come down to the ring and they made their entrance, they had the referee check the corners to make sure that Santos wasn't hiding the brass knuckles like he did in his matchup when he went against Tony the first time. So you had fun, fair play at the beginning of the matchup before the match even began. And then as the match would go on, you had everybody get in and the mix of styles really worked in this. Tony D'Angelo and his crew are really like a brawler street style. They'll slam you a little bit, but then they're all about punching and stomping you out, while Legato is all about the Lucha Libre style. They'll run and high fly you up with uh, Joaquin Wilde and Cruz, while Santos, he'll do everything. He'll technical wrestle with you. He'll uh, brawl with you. He'll high fly if he has a high fly. So you got a mixture of all that, but this was a good opening matchup for uh, in in your house, and again, I was really really surprised how much people were really into this. They were really a lot into Santos. Santos like got the biggest like cheers out of any good guy on this like pay per view, to my opinion. After this, we will have the NXT Women's Tag Team Title matchup of Katana Chance and Kaden Carter going against the champions Toxic Attraction's own uh, Gigi Dolan and J.C. Jane. Toxic Attraction would win the match by pinfall when Katana and Kaden hit their tag finish, which is a 450 splash and a neckbreaker combo on Gigi Dolan, and Kaden would pin Gigi. But as the pin was going on, JC would pull Kaden out of the ring, 
Katana would attempt to go after JC, but that would fail when JC slammed Katana onto the ring apron. Caden Carter would turn JC around, hit her with a forearm to the face, and lay her out for the moment. Then you would see Caden get back in the ring, grab Gigi, put her on her shoulders, and Gigi would fly, fight out of it. Go behind Caden Carter, grab her by her waist. You see Caden reverse it and now go behind Gigi, grab her by her waist, run her into the ropes. Caden would roll up Gigi, and as the referee was making the pin, Gigi would push Caden off of her and send Caden into the second rope, where JC would be waiting there to forearm Caden uh, in the face, and then Gigi would hit a sick German suplex on Caden Carter and pin her to retain their NXT Women's Tag Team titles. This was a straight match to me personally i thought this was the perfect timing to pull the trigger on uh katana and kaden to be women tag team champions because i believe they're the longest tag team in nxt women's situation that has been a legitimate team even to the dying days of nxt black and gold where they were formulating as a team to this uh colorful multicolored. Uh, NXT, the more character-driven side of NXT over this side, um, you still see them as a team now. So they literally have been a team for the past, what, two years? And for some reason, we have not been able to figure out... No, no, not two years, because COVID happened in 2020. So about a year and a half last year, because that's when they introduced the belts. So about a year and a half, they've been legitimate, a tag team, but somehow, some way. They have not won the tag titles, and I thought tonight was a perfect night, but they went on with toxic attraction with this. Caden uh, landed on her neck, and it looked like it was a bad landing. At least everybody on Twitter thought that, too. Uh, there has been no reports at this moment of this recording um, of her being injured or anything, so I just hope that she is uh, taken care of and that nothing is really bad with her at the moment, but toxic attraction would retain the tag titles here. After this, we've had the North American Championship matchup of Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in this corner going against Cameron Grimes. Both men got special entrances. Carmelo would uh, come out in black fur with uh, black and red trunks, with black trunks being the primal color with like red splash on it, and you'll see like a red teardrop on it. And it goes to the get it back. They can't say get it back in blood because that's a rap reference and that means something else in the uh, rap and hood phenomenon, but you would see uh, Trick come out with a cane and he's all blacked out. I'm not going to front. They are keeping the hip-hop urban style and flavor to NXT. Carmelo and Trick are keeping that alive from Swerve and Hit Row bringing it in to NXT to Malcolm Bivens before he left the AEW whenever he would do his uh, hip-hop references to now Carmelo and Trick bringing in all the black uh, black Twitter stuff being brought into NXT to uh, hip-hop references to all this stuff. They are really keeping that in with these guys, and I'm glad they were able to do that with this entrance and all this uh, stuff that they were wearing. And... Cameron Grimes got the special interest of basically he just got like the platform lowering him down and behind him it had like a rocket and the whole thing is his whole uh, mantra is going to the moon. So that's his special entrance. But Carmelo would win the match. That shocked me. I ain't going to front with you. Carmelo would win the match when uh, Cameron would hit a top gun helo on Melo and Trick on the outside of the ring. Melo would get back in the ring and then you see Cameron get back in the ring. 
But before he does, you see Trick grab him by his leg, and you see Trick and Cameron uh, fight on the ring apron. Cameron would hit the cave-in on Trick, and then once he got in the ring, he runs towards Mello, who's right by the turnbuckles. Mello would toss Cameron Grimes in the air, and Cameron would hit his head right on the top turnbuckle. Mello would quickly get to the top turnbuckle and jump off, hit a leg drop on the back of Grimes' head. That's his finish. Cover Grimes and win. So now Carmelo Hayes is a two-time North American champion. Again, this was a good match, but as I was watching it, I just couldn't feel that something was missing. I couldn't place my finger on it, but just watching this match, it was still good. Let's not get it twisted. But something was missing. I just couldn't figure it out. But I didn't think they would go with uh, Carmelo Hayes here. I didn't think they would go with him winning. I thought we were going to go down the route of uh, Cameron Grimes turning a uh, bad guy whenever he got to face uh, Solo Sokoa for the North American Championship, but that's not happening here. They went back to Carmelo Hayes, and here's my thing. I- I'll get more to it later. If they give him this title for a something that I want them to do day or later down the line, I'm cool with, but if they don't, uh, I'm, I don't understand why they give him back the title if we don't get to something that I'm going to be pitching later, but I'll get to that in the main event. Uh, after this, we would get the NXT Women's Championship matchup of Mandy Rose going against Wendy Chu. Uh, Mandy would win the match by pinfall when Wendy would go to the top turnbuckle and Mandy would toss her off. And as Wendy would hit the mat, you would see Mandy stalk Wendy to get up. And once Wendy got back to her feet, you see Mandy run over, hit her knee to Wendy's face, cover her and pin her. So Mandy is still your NXT Women's Champion. And now she's on her day 222-day reign right now. So right now, they're trying to make it seem that Mandy's probably going to be the longest reigning NHT Women's Champion. And I'm cool with that because you know what? Why not? Because I don't see no other woman there. If we're waiting for Io Shirai to come back to take the title off her, okay, cool. If we're waiting for what Zoe Stark to come back, okay, cool. Or we're probably waiting for uh, the right time to pull the trigger on Roxanne Perez or somebody else. Or Nikita Lyons. I don't know. But right now, Mandy Rose holding the NXT Women's Championship isn't a bad thing at all for an NXT brand. Uh, the match was okay. I mean, it was an NXT matchup to me. I mean, they gave Wendy a whole lot of uh, maneuvers here to do and beat up on Mandy. And they actually did have a good matchup. Uh, there's nothing really bad for me to say about this. Uh, after this, the NXT Tag Team title matchup, Pretty Deadly going against the Kree Brothers. The Kree Brothers would win the match by pinfall when Brutus had Kit Wilson on his shoulders in the reverse torture rack position and slam him. You would see Julius tag himself in. Julius would go to the top turnbuckle and then hit a shooting star press and nail it, hit Kit with it. Then he would get up and hit Kit with the sliding clothesline and then pin him to win the championship. It was a great ending. Uh, the Creed's parents were in front row for the matchup, so it brought sentimental moment there. They got to celebrate with their mother and father at the end of the matchup by the uh, barricade. They got to hug their mother and father, hold the tag titles. This was their crowning moment that they should have got in Dallas at the Stand and Deliver uh, WrestleMania weekend. In my personal opinion, I think they pulled the trigger late, but hey man, everybody was hot for the Creed Brothers to win this. I don't think anybody thought Creed Brothers were going to win this personally because the Pretty Deadly just technically got the tag titles, what, a month and a half ago, if anything? And for 
them now to lose the titles, you, that tells me that you guys had no idea what you guys were doing with Pretty Deadly. I'm just going to make a point short here. You guys had to take the titles off of MSK, which MSK should have never had the tag titles. They shouldn't have won the triple threat at Stand and Deliver. It should have been the Creed Brothers. But since you went the MSK route, and then controversy happened, and then uh, one of the guys from MSK had to be released, and then you had to do the whole fatal four-way for it, you put it on pretty deadly. Creed Brothers should have won that. You should have crowned them there. They ran the whole golly. You should have beat them up on pretty deadly there, and you could have did all that stuff. But, hey, whatever the case may be, the Creed Brothers are still there. They're still inside Diamond Mine. I have a feeling we're going to have some Diamond Mine tensions built up later down the line because Roddy and Ivy Nile and Damon Kemp didn't come out there to celebrate with the Creed Brothers. But we'll see how that uh, goes towards uh, this NXT episode coming this Tuesday. Uh, after this, it'll be time for the main event, the NXT Championship matchup. Braun Breaker going against Joe Gacy, who had the two Druids with him. Braun will win the match by pinfall when Braun would contemplate using a steel chair that Gacy brought in the ring uh, earlier, like mid-match, because uh, you see Braun have the steel chair. Well, Gacy technically had the steel chair, and he did the whole Bray Wyatt John Cena spot at WrestleMania 30 where you see Braun having the steel chair, and he's contemplating using the steel chair, and he knows that if he gets DQ'd, he'll lose the title. So you see Gacy constantly yelling at Braun, hit me with the chair, hit me with this chair, hit me, hit me, hit me. Braun says, you know what? I'm not going to do it. He hands the steel chair over to the ref. Referee takes it. He starts moving the uh, chair out of the way, but out of the referee's eyesight, you see Joe Gacy low blow Braun Breaker and roll him up. You see Braun Breaker kick out of the pin. He goes back to grab the steel chair now this time, and now he wants to hit Joe with the steel chair, but one of the druids are now on the ring apron, so he takes his anger out on the druid, and he hits him with the steel chair. He will let go of the chair. You see Joe Gacy get up, hit a handspring, try to go for the uh, clothesline, but Braun would immediately hit Gacy with a spear as soon as he pops off the uh, ropes with a handspring so it was a legit sprint spear and hit Gacy with it then he lifted him up hit the gorilla press slam and then covered Gacy for the win I like this match it was a nice story driven matchup because we knew that the whole thing was around Braun Breaker having a uh uncontrollable anger problem he was ready to snap off at any moment that's Braun's whole situation Gacy tried to play up to it as much as he can but ultimately it did not work Gacy even tried the Eddie Guerrero spot where uh, Gacy had the steel chair. He hits it on the mat while the referee's distracted. He throws the chair to Braun. Braun catches it. The referee turns around. You see Gacy on the mat. You see Braun with the steel chair. The referee is thinking that Braun hit Gacy with the steel chair, insinuating it. And he says he's got to call for the bell. But then you see something that never happens, and they did in this match, was added something special to it. You see another referee come down and tell the referee that he, that Braun didn't hit Gacy with it, that Braun did not hit Gacy with it, it's a fake, it's a facade, so that added something extra to it, because usually they just let that spot go, the referee never says that he's going to call for the bill or anything like that, he always like chastised the ref uh, the opponent while the other guy that faking the injury is going to do something like a roll up or try to hit their finish on the guy as soon as they turns his attention back to him so that made this an extra bit special for it but 
Braun and Gacy had a good match here, not a bad thing. And my whole pitch for now is that Carmelo has the North American Championship. Now, if we don't get a champion versus champion situation, I don't know what we're doing, personally, in my personal opinion. I think Melo is now outgrown the North American Championship. I think he should be heading on to the uh, World Championship of NXT, and I think that him and Braun should have a feud for both titles. I think Carmelo should try to say that I'm the A champion. Braun takes offense to that and says, no, I am the champion. You can be the A champion, but I am the champion of this brand. And Melo's going to take some offense. Melo's going to say, well, I want that title then. And then you see both of them trading off uh, matches. One time would be Braun challenging for the North American Championship. Carmelo wins. Carmelo challenging for the NXT Championship. Braun wins. And then it comes to a point that they got to go against each other for both belts. And then you can do that because it's been two years. The last time that you had this situation was Keith Lee, Adam Cole, Great American Bash two years ago where Keith Lee won the NXT Championship when he was a North American Champion. And you can do this thing properly instead of Carmelo or Braun giving up one of the titles after that he wins the championship. You can have him win the titles and actually defend both titles at their leisure. And that's how you could do it. But that's just me going on to the near future. I don't know where we're going with Braun Breaker as, North America, uh, as NXT champion. I can see Tony D'Angelo probably popping up, or I can see them probably pushing uh, Von Wagner going against Braun after he kiss with uh, Josh Briggs this Tuesday on NXT. I can see that. But if we don't see Von Wagner, if we don't see Tony D'Angelo, my next big choice is literally Carmelo Hayes. So uh, NXT in your house, good, good uh, watch. If the most thing that you probably want to see out of all of it literally is the tag matchup, the NXT championship matchup, and the six man to start the show off. But that's your in your house uh, review. Now for Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell will start off with an excellent triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship. It was Asuka going against Becky, going against the champion Bianca Belair. Bianca would win the match by pinfall when Bianca would hit Asuka with the glam slam on the turnbuckle. And then Becky Lynch would throw Bianca out of the ring. Becky would grab Asuka, hit her with the manhandle slam. AKA, if you don't know what that is, it's the rock bottom, and cover Asuka. But Bianca would get in the ring, throw Becky out of the ring, cover Asuka, and then win the match. Bianca basically beat Becky at her own game because Becky would constantly get in the ring from time to time and throw either Bianca or Asuka out of the match uh, at opportune times where she thought she could win the match. And basically, Bianca just did it better than uh, Becky here. And you. And the commentators even said that on commentary, too, saying that uh, Bianca beat Becky at her own game. And the funny thing about this was that um, they had a good match here, literally. At multiple times throughout this matchup, Becky did look like she was going to win. And she had Bianca beat multiple times throughout this thing. But Asuka would always come in and, like, make the save. And that was the whole point of a triple threat match. I know uh, talent as in uh, former wrestlers would usually talk about how a uh, triple threat or fatal four-way matches were like the hardest matches to come up with in the back and all that type of stuff. But as a fan watching the product, you love to see a fatal four-way or triple threat match. And then when it's done perfectly, it's always one of the best matches that you can go back because there's multiple people in the ring just doing their thing. And for this, this was literally three of the best women wrestlers on WWE 
having a match against each other. We all knew it was going to be great, but the level of which they had this matchup, it was literally an excellent way to start off Hell in a Cell because also you one of the uh, highlights of this matchup for me personally was Asuka locking in a ankle lock on Becky and then she grabbed Bianca's foot and then had her in an ankle lock at the same time. So it was a double ankle lock and you got to see Bianca and uh, Becky roll out of it and you got to see them uh, have their little thing for a minute. So again, Hell in a Cell to start off the night with a triple threat match between all three of these ladies was a perfect way to start the show off. After this, we have a two-on-one handicap matchup with Omos and MVP going against Bobby Lashley. Bobby would win the match by submission, and he would get a little help and assistance from Cedric Alexander towards the end of the matchup when Omos had Lashley by the throat, and he was looking to hit his uh, double choke slam, double-handed uh, choke slam. Cedric would run down to the ring, get on the top turnbuckle, jump, and it looked like he was about to hit Omos, but Omos would catch Cedric in the air, so now he has both Lashley and Cedric in their, well, by the throats, one hand on each throat. He throws uh, Cedric out of the ring, and with this distraction, Lashley would run and hit Omos with a spear. Omos would run, uh, roll out of the ring, and you see Lashley, like, leaning next to the turnbuckle. MVP thought this would be the perfect opportunity to hit him with a big boot in the corner. But Lashley would move out of the way. And uh, MVP's foot would get stuck on the top uh, turnbuckle. Lashley would lock in the hurt lock on MVP. MVP would struggle in it. And within about a good 20 seconds, he would tap out. So Lashley would win this matchup. The reason why Cedric helped Lashley was because before uh, Omos and MVP came out, uh, Cedric was talking to MVP, thinking that he's going to try to uh, work with them to try to beat Bobby Lashley, but MVP had to shut him down and say, hey, listen, I give you multiple opportunities to uh, help us out and all this type of stuff, but you constantly fail, so our business relationship is done. I know you want the uh, be in business with me like we were in the hurt business, but not nah, that time has come past is done. So this will lead to basically Cedric not basically uh, liking that. So that's the reason why uh, he helped Lashley here. Lashley would tell him, hey, man, I appreciate the help and all that stuff later in the night. But he tells him, no, ever get involved in my matches again. And Cedric would like give him a head nod. So that tells you that Lashley and Cedric do have some respect towards each other because obviously they don't like MVP. So um, the funny thing about this is that you think that we're going to get Lashley versus Roman next, the way that they're building this up, because after the match will go down, you see Lashley getting a lot of embrace from the fans. I mean, the fans were really cheering for Lashley to the point that Lashley would get out of the ring and grab a fan's uh, WWE Championship. And once he grabs the championship, the fans start really cheering for Lashley now. So it seems to me that we're signaling over to Lashley trying to challenge for Roman. But I don't know with that because remember, Riddle right now is his whole things with the bloodline. I'm going after the bloodline. I'm going after the bloodline. So I don't know if we're signaling for Lashley to be one of the contenders because he's always a contender. But I don't know if that's like for the immediate future or that's just going down the line into the future for it. We could have Lashley join in the Money in the Bank ladder match next month. That's a plan. But yeah, 
201 handicap match, Omos, MVP, uh, Lashley. It was a good one. Lashley got dominated for a majority of the matchup because obviously 201, but Lashley would escape uh, with the win. After this, Kevin Owens versus Ezekiel. Kevin Owens would win by pinfall when Ezekiel was on the top turnbuckle, and Kevin Owens would hit the ropes that would make Ezekiel buckle on the turnbuckle. As he's there trying to catch himself, you see Kevin Owens hit Ezekiel with two super kicks. Then Ezekiel will fall down. He's uh, resting on the bottom turnbuckle. Kevin Owens will hit a running cannonball, then grab Ezekiel and hit him with a stunner, then pin him for the win. This was a good match between Kevin Owens and Ezekiel. I thought this was going to be an easy win for Ezekiel personally because I thought we were going to have Kevin Owens be uh, continuing in his descent of madness by saying that Ezekiel is Elias and that Elias basically is Ezekiel here. But no, we went the other way with that. I'm not mad at it, to be honest with you, because this gives Kevin Owens room to uh, now taunt Ezekiel more down the line if we're going to continue going with that. And it also gives Kevin Owens an opportunity to move away from this and do something else. Go after uh, the world title if he wants to be inside the Money in the Bank ladder match if he wants to do that, if that's what they want to do. But Kevin Owens and Ezekiel, they actually had a good match. I was... I wasn't shocked by it because Ezekiel, Elias, whatever you want to call the dude, uh, he can wrestle. Kevin Owens has already solidified that he wrestles off top. So for those two to have that much chemistry in the ring, that was a really good match that I thought that was, uh, I didn't expect to get what we got. So that was a real sleeper matchup, to be honest with you. After this, it was a six-person mixed tag match. Judgment Day, Edge, uh, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley going against Liv Morgan, Finn Balor, and AJ Styles. I like the color coordination throughout the whole matchup with both teams. You had uh, Judgment Day coming out with the black and purple, and then you have Liv, Finn, and AJ with the black and white. So both teams had the colors right. Edge would win the match for his team by pinfall when Finn had Edge laid out on the mat, and he was looking to hit the coup de grace on him, but... Rhea would get in the way of Finn and stand in front of the laying body of Edge. So Finn couldn't do nothing because he was not going to hit a woman. Liv would jump on the back of Rhea Ripley and try to put her in a sleeper hold. And now both Rhea and Liv would fall out of the ring. So now this gives Finn clear entrance to do the coup de grace. He jumps off trying to look for it, but Edge will roll out of the way. Finn would land on his feet. And then as soon as he turns around, you see Edge spear Finn, cover him for the win. Again, great six-person tag match. I think everybody knew this going into it, that this was going to be at least a good matchup because, again, all participants in this matchup are good wrestlers. The females working with the females, they know each other, so they have that in-ring chemistry. Uh, Finn and AJ, great wrestlers. Edge and Damian Priest, great wrestlers. So they have that chemistry. They know how to work with each other because they've had two months to solidify their chemistry together. So, um this match was good. There was nothing bad for me to say. I just like how each team basically had the color coordination. I like that Edge team won, and I actually did pick Edge team to win because for the past two months, I have been voting for AJ to beat Edge at these pay-per-views, and I didn't know if we were going to have it this time of AJ winning. I thought that WWE was going to try to say, okay, AJ's team win, but they still went with Judgment Day. They're pushing uh, Judgment Day as this big group on Raw. Uh, there was one thing that did not happen. I thought we were going to get another member joining Judgment Day on this pay-per-view because for the past two pay-per-views, we begin somebody joining Edge. At Mania, it was Damian Priest. At WrestleMania Backlash, it was Rhea Ripley. 
I thought we were going to get somebody here. But nope, still nobody. So we'll probably have to wait on run to, uh, Monday night Raw to see if we're going to get somebody to join Judgment Day. But still a great uh, six-person tag match. After this, it was time for the no-holds-barred uh, matchup of Madcap going against Happy Corbin. Madcap would win the match by pinfall when Corbin brought in the steel steps and placed it in the corners. And you see Corbin try to powerbomb Madcap onto the steel steps, but Madcap would slip out of the powerbomb position. He would grab Corbin and hit him with a fallaway slam onto the steps. Then he would grab Corbin and hit him with his punchline neckbreaker. And then he would get a steel chair, place it on uh, Corbin's neck. Well, actually place Corbin's neck inside the steel chair the same way that Corbin did to him. Madcap will lift up the steps, slam it on one of the chair's uh, legs to crush Corbin's neck, then cover him for the win. This is basically the exact same thing that uh, Corbin did to him. That's the reason why he crushed Corbin's neck here. Uh, solid, solid no holds barred matchup. I would have expected a lot of weapons, but once you see the main event, you understand why they did not put a lot of uh, weapons here and get involved in this. The only things that got involved was literally chairs and like the steel steps. The fans were chanting, we want tables in this matchup. Corbin kind of played with them for a minute. He brought a table out and then the fans cheered for it. Then he slid the table right back underneath the ring and the fans booed him. So Corbin got more boos off of doing that. And even Madcap, when he got the steel chair at towards the end, and he starts beating up on uh, Corbin's back with it. He said, this might not be a table, but I'm going to beat the crap out of Corbin with it. And he just start wailing on Corbin's back. The fans at least cheered for that. So um, Madcap wins. He puts Corbin in his back uh, into his pass now because Corbin would get stretchered out. He would get uh, a neck brace put on his neck and then get stretchered out. So... I don't know if this is going to be the last time we see Corbin for at least a good couple of weeks. That's my best observation of this. After this, we get our United States Championship matchup of the night. Theory going against Mustafa Ali. Ali's in his hometown of Chicago, so you think Ali's going to win. But no, in WWE typical fashion, here's the thing. If you're in your hometown and you're wrestling in your hometown, you're going to lose. I thought it would be different this time because... Ali's whole situation with WWE and he wanted to be released a couple months ago, but they brought him back here for uh, this whole situation. I thought he was going to win, but no. Theory would win the match by pinfall when Ali would hit uh, Theory with a tilt-a-world DDT when uh, Theory was stuck in the middle ropes, and then he would go for the 450 splash, but Theory would move out of the way, and Ali would hit, hit the mat. This would allow Theory to get up and grab Ali and hit him with the A-Town down and then cover him for the win. Uh, again, solid matchup between Theory and Mustafa Ali. They had a good matchup, but the finish basically discouraged me out of the whole thing because I thought, again, Ali coming back, doing this thing in WWE, I thought, okay, he got put up with so much crap and he gets to his hometown. He's going to be the United States champion because why not? Why wouldn't you put the United States Championship on Ali in his hometown to boost his uh, credibility up and boost him up as a performer? Because you guys are already going to put the rocket on Theory when you want to do it. He's already known as Vince McMahon's protege. Him losing that matchup wouldn't have done anything to Theory, but Ali losing the matchup, that just brings him more down, and that shows everybody you guys don't kind of have nothing for Ali. This just seems like a more of a punishment thing for him to... uh. 
he has to deal with this uh, situation because of him speaking out months ago saying he want to be released. That's what this thing seems like, but whatever. Uh, Theory would win the matchup here. Now it's time for the main event. Hell in a Cell matchup. Seth Rollins versus Cody Rhodes. Uh, at the beginning of the pay-per-view, the announcers would announce, well, the commentators would announce that Cody uh, suffered a tour peck because uh, he has brawl with Seth at Monday Night Raw. He kind of teared it a little bit. And then as Cody was training for his matchup with Seth Rollins tonight at Hell in a Cell, he tore his peck off the bone, his right peck off the bone. So he came in, I mean, my man came in injured, injured. And once you saw him enter the cell and he took his jacket off, the camera really zoomed in on his right peck. His right peck was straight up black and blued and it spread it all the way to his uh, tricep and then even some into his forearm. So he, he was he was limited in his mobility of his right arm, but him and Seth really did work. Cody and Seth really did work in the cell in the cell. There was no blood as I expected. I mean, there was blood, I believe, like on uh, Seth's arm or something, but I thought there was going to be blood on the face or something like that. But nope, still a WWE product, still a PG product. I thought with Cody coming back, he probably put some couple things in his contract for moments that need blood. We'll probably sprinkle it in a little bit, but nope. Uh, Cody would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Rollins with two crossroads, then pick up the sledgehammer that Seth brought in earlier in the match and hit Seth in the face with it, then cover him for the win. Again, great match between both Seth and Cody. I give a lot of credit to both Seth and Cody because with one person only be able to move their arm fully and you have to really work with that person, in a matchup of this magnitude with this much uh, animosity going into it with this much hatred that's been built up for the past two months. Yeah, and for you to now get to the point like, oh yeah, you got this match inside of Hell in a Cell, and oh yeah, by the way, your opponent, he got a tour pack, so now you got to work with him. He only can move his right arm a little bit. You got to maneuver around that. Seth is a true professional. That's why he's literally one of the best of this generation. I will put Seth on the top of that, period. He's on the top, one of the top lists of this legitimate generation. So out of any company, it would be WWE, AEW, New Japan, Impact. All these wrestlers literally put at the top. Seth is literally up there in the top five of this generation. I'm just going to be blunt with it. Because I don't think a lot of people could really work with a person like that. I mean, the last person that tore their peck, I, at least in my opinion, that I saw that in the matchup was uh, Triple H, and it was Triple H, Sean, going against uh, Undertaker and Kane in one of the matches in Saudi Arabia, and that match was utter garbage. But Triple H continued on, and you saw the aftermath after you start seeing his, like, the black and bruise on his shoulders and everything. So Cody had to really toughen it out throughout this whole matchup, and there's another thing that I liked about this matchup too, by the way, then besides Cody toughing it out, was that Seth came in and played the mind games as we thought he was going to. He came out, his ring attire was the black uh, black, and uh, yellow polka dots. The yellow polka dots, to be more specific. Black was the primary color, but the polka dots were yellow, the Dusty Rhodes uh, polka dots. And um, Cody looked and he was like snurred snarled at uh seth whenever he saw him like in the structure whenever they were doing the whole ring announcements i like that little touch and also the 
pedigree touch. Whenever Seth and Cody were tra- trading off and Seth tried to hit the pedigree on Cody, but Cody was the one that hit the pedigree on Seth. And that was another thing that gave a head nod back to his uh, last little bit of months in AEW because that was the thing that Cody would kind of tease the people of him basically doing the pedigree. He would always uh, double underhook his opponents and it looked like he's about to do the pedigree or something, but he would either uh, fake it, his opponents uh, reverse out of it, or he would hit the tiger tiger driver. So for him to actually hit the pedigree on Seth here, it was uh, poetic because Seth was the quote-unquote protege for Triple H whenever he turned his back on the shield. And Triple H is Cody's favorite wrestler. Cody has said that in many interviews, so it's pretty poetic for this to happen here, but it just happens that uh, Cody, again, has a black and bruised peck, and uh, he was really, really limited in this, but him him and Seth still put on a great main event, and I would really recommend you to watch it. Seth did, like, beat on that peck. He hit uh, Cody's peck with a kendo stick, uh, steel steps, and even the weight belt. So, Cody's peck was taking a beating in this matchup. Also, they used tables, they used kendo sticks, uh, obviously they used the steel steps. Um, it was, this was, this was one of those matches that I was really happy to see, but again, limited, really limited. It wasn't up to the full potential because again, Cody with the black and blue peck, but Cody and Seth worked around it. So I would really highly suggest you to watch the, that match between these two. That leads me into what's going to happen on Monday Night Raw. I don't know. I think Cody's probably going to come out, say a couple words. He's going to disappear for a little bit because he got to recover from the tour peck. And that's about it. Other than that, I don't know what else we're going to get on Monday Night Raw. Hopefully for me, uh, we start getting Money in the Bank qualifying matches to see who's going to be qualified into the Money in the Bank. That's what I'm hoping that we get starting this week. But We shall see as uh, Monday Night Raw happens and Friday Night SmackDown happens. But anyway, that was your WWE in your house, NXT in your house, and your Hell in a Cell review. I enjoyed both nights. Again, I will suggest you to really check it out. Again, for me, the matches to check out for in your house were Legato Del Fantasma going against Tony D'Angelo's crew. Uh, Trick Williams going against Carmelo Hayes. And the tag title matchup against De- Pretty Deadly going against the Creed Brothers. Hell in a Cell, triple threat matchup. Uh, the first match, Oscar, Becky, and uh, Bianca Belair. And the main event, uh, Cody and Seth inside Hell in a Cell. And also the six-person mixed tag match. Those matches were great. And also the sleeper pick, Kevin Owens and Ezekiel. Great match as well. But that has been your uh, reviews of both of these events. I hope you do check it out. I hope you check out my Sunday episode that I just did yesterday. It's called Obligations. I talk about uh, a lot of different things, basically Sunday news topics. And that's about it. I hope you guys uh, have a great Monday. Please rest up. Please take care of yourself. Please be careful on the roads. Because, again, we don't want people to uh, lose their life out here because of other people's stupidness. So with that being said, I hope you guys have a great week. You'll hear from me on Saturday for the rest of the highlights of the week. And if you don't listen to that, you'll hear from me on Sunday for uh, news topics or anything I want to talk about. With that, I hope you guys have a great Monday. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh Jesus wept.